The title is The Patriarchs, Amram and Jochebed. Amram and Jochebed are the parents of Moses. You knew that. I know you knew that. So um, that's, that's who we're going to be looking at. We're going to spend most of our time um, looking at Amram and Jochebed, which is verse 23. Um, we are going through this chapter that um, is basically saying, hey, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the one that was promised, um, the, the realization of the uh, prof, prophets and the promises that Jesus has come. You need to have faith. Like all of these guys had faith. And so we're going through a list of them. And so we pick up in verse 17 through 19, where we read about uh, more, actually, about Abraham and Sarah's uh, child Isaac. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So here we see faith that God can work, and work in like the most miraculous way. If you want to read the account on your own that the, um, the author's referring to as he writes here, it's Genesis 22, and it's verses 1 through 19. And he talks about this scene. Of course, we were familiar that for years, for decades, Abraham and Sarah were unable to have a child. Well, they finally do have a child. The child is now grown up, a young man, and the Lord comes and in chapter 22, we find out that God says, take him and offer him up as a sacrifice. It's, there's only one thing that you can conclude if you know anything about sacrifice. The Lord is asking me to offer up my son and to kill him. And so Abraham does that. But he reasons, wait a minute, this is a promise of God. That it was through him that there was going to be a great nation. So if God is going to ask me to do that, then God is going to have to raise him from the dead. That's some pretty powerful faith there, don't you think? Now, why did God do that? Just to get that out of the way to begin with. Why would God ask him to do that? Well, first of all, you need to know the end of the story is God says, don't sacrifice your son. So then what was the purpose? Two things. Number one, we read there in verse uh, 17 that he wanted to test Abraham's faith. God will put us in circumstances and situations where our faith in him will be tested, will be proven. That's part of it, number one. Why does he want to do that? Well, it's helpful to you and me as we read it right now, isn't it? And so those that have gone through different challenges and difficulties, the testings that they go through, when we find ourselves in them, that's the people we want to talk to. It's not that the brother or sister who hasn't gone through what you've gone through can't comfort you and can't give you good godly experience, but if you have somebody that's gone through exactly what you've gone through, in other words, they've been tested just like you, and you have the opportunity to talk to them or to somebody equally as godly, but has not had that experience, who are you going to opt for? You're going to opt for the person that's gone through exactly what you have gone through. And so the testing is not just uh, for ourselves um, and to really see where we stand with God, but the testing also is helpful to others. The second reason is this is a foreshadowing of what happens 2,000 years later when God the Father's only son 
comes in and walks up Mount Moriah with the crossbeam, the wood on his back, and he is offered up on that mountain. Because when Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah, he put wood on his back, they went to the top of Mount Moriah, and as he is about to sacrifice him, God said, stop, I will provide myself a sacrifice, and God did that with his only son. So it becomes a foreshadowing of what the father is, was going to do, and now we can say has done for us. So this is an amazing story, an account. Now, I, I don't know if you've seen some, I'm sure you have, different um, you know, movies that have been put together about Abraham, and um, I, I appreciate you know, the, those efforts, I enjoy watching them. But I'll have to say, this is just me, most of the ones that I've seen, I think totally, not totally, that's too, that's too strong. I think, they, I think they show Abraham in a way that's not seen in the Bible. They show him generally as a man that's like really distraught over this decision. They show him as a man that's kind of wringing his hands and kind of is in this great time of distress. And that's not the way the Bible represents him. I mean, I get it. I mean, I can understand all of those emotions and that it would be expected that they could be there, but that's not what the Bible says about him. The Bible says that he had faith. Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go and offer him up, and he does it. And I think there's a verse I'd like for us to read together. It's Genesis 22:3. And as we read this verse, I want you to know the word and. This is a Hebraic grammatical form that speaks of one deliberate action, continual action. In other words, all the ands give you, and you'll, you'll feel it in English. Um, we use the same thing. It, but all, using this over and over again, it makes you feel like there is one continual action. And the reason for that is because it's trying to show you there was no hesitation. There was no question. He just did it. And now, here, with commentary, a couple of thousand years later, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we read that what was in his heart and his mind is, well, God's going to raise him from the dead. So rather than him really struggling and being distraught, although completely understandable, that's not what the Bible says. It just shows him as like, this was a man of faith. I mean, it, it truly is amazing. So let's read verse uh, 3 and just, just fill the language here. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So all of those, uh, this, this, this way of writing is trying to say he was just completely continually obedient to the Lord through the whole process. You don't read of hesitation. You don't read of second guessing. He just believed. Now, you can read, um, and I'm pretty sure it's even how it begins there um, with the, this whole account is, and it came to pass. You know, that's a short little phrase, but boy, there was a lot in that, isn't it? And it came to pass. God didn't spring this on him the, while he was in the land of the Chaldeans. He still called him to step out in faith and leave the land. But he worked, he developed him, he grew him to be at a place that when he came and asked him to do this, it came to pass. It was already built into his life. And he was ready for that moment. 
And I believe God does the same thing and is doing the same thing in my life and in your life. There are things we are going through now, have gone through in the past, that are all getting us ready for that moment when the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. And we'll be able to have that commentary, and it came to pass. God worked into our hearts, life's lessons, and faith in him so that when he calls us to do that amazing step of faith, we're ready for it. Like, well, I'm in the middle of it, and I'm not ready for it. No, 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 you're ready for it. Because God is faithful. He's not going to give you too much. If you are in the midst of a storm and a trial, I want you, on the basis of God's word and faith, to say, God has made me ready for this. It's not too much. God, doesn't, God does not do that. With, you think about how you are with your children. You give them challenges. You give them difficulties. You know, you have them learn how to do things. And you, you make certain that they can, it might be hard, and they may even may have a couple of failures in, in the midst of it. But overall, they're going to they're gonna get that down, and they're going to work on it. And then eventually, you, you, you work up to something. And so... It is with the Lord. He doesn't put you into those dangerous situations that you are not ready for. So we all face trials, and we need to have faith in those trials. We need to have faith when the Lord tests us. And so Moses was ready. If you are in need of giant faith, and this is giant faith here, ask God to give it to you. Ask him to fill you, to overflow you with strong, confident belief that God is going to work. In verses 20 through 22, back in chapter 11, Hebrews 11, 20 through 22, we have Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph that are referred to. And we're going to read these verses here in just a moment. But the same thing's being said about each of them, and that is this. When they were ready to die, they spoke to the next generation, their children, to have confidence in the Lord, and they prophesied over their kids, they prophesied to the nation, in Joseph's case, and and said, hey, God is going to bring you into the promised land. And yet none of them had anything in their name. They didn't have a title deed to anything but a, a, a graveyard. That's all they had. It's not like they had got 500 acres. Hey, we got another 1,000 acres. We got 10,000 acres. We finally got the river. We got a lake. That's not what any of these guys were able to say. All they were able to say was, Abraham received a promise from God, and he's confirmed that promise in our heart. And we believe, even though we haven't received it, we haven't owned it, we haven't experienced a a, a sampling of the fulfillment of it, we know it's going to happen. So in all of these situations, we have Abraham with his son Isaac. We have Isaac with Jacob. Jacob with his 12 sons. We have Joseph with his, and they are speaking to the next generation, saying, believe and watch. So let's read. Verse 20, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So if you go and you read about it at the end of his life when he speaks to them, he's prophesying over um, you know, what God is going to fulfill in, in them, specifically in Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. And he talked about how they were going to be a fruitful bow when they were in the land. 
By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So he knew that they were not going to remain in Egypt forever. And so when he was dying, he says, hey, I'm going to die. You're going to bury me. But when you go and you go and receive the land that God has promised, make sure you bring my bones and bury me there. They all believed that God was going to fulfill, even in a future time, that which they had not realized in that current moment. And this is something all of us need to be doing as well having a strong confidence and belief. Although there may be aspects of our Christian faith that have been promised to us that we have not realized yet that they are true, that they are believable, that we can cling to them. None of you have gone to heaven yet, but I believe it. I haven't gone, but I believe it's going to happen. And when I am passing away, if I go in a, such a fashion that I have time to say something to my kids and my grandkids, I'm going to tell them that one day they will join me. That they, If they have faith in Christ, that they're going to come. That Hold on to the promises of God. Be faithful. And this is what we need to pass on. And, and, have, and be people, parents, grandparents, or, or maybe your aunt or uncle raising uh, children. You need to speak boldly into the next generation. I mean, for Abraham, he boldly said, I believe in God and I will even lay you on the altar and take your life, believing that he can raise you from the dead. That's how much I believe in the Lord. That's, that is an amazing amount of faith. But he, he trusted God's word that strongly. And so did these other men. They clung to the word of God, and that was their foundation. None of these men saw fulfillment of that promise, and yet they were confident enough on their last moments of life to speak of it coming. They didn't second-guess God. They weren't questioning him. We must be careful that we don't drag God into our own courtroom that we have made and put him on the witness stand and begin to cross-examine him for the things he has done or not done. I know none of you would do that. First service, I'm not sure. They might do that. So maybe not for you. It's, of course it's for you. It's for all of us. It's for me. Because when things don't go the way we anticipate or things come out of the blue and it, it's way different than what we were expecting, man, our mind can so quickly. I'm not going to even say as a matter of sin. The fiery dart is fired away and it hits our heart. And it's so quick, and I've experienced it in my own heart and life. Lord, why did you let that happen? You could have, I mean, there's not even a thought process. It just immediately happens, and you got to gather yourself. And if we're not careful, and that moment when that temptation to question God comes, if we're not careful, we will drag God into that courtroom that we have put together, and we'll put him on the stand, and we'll be like a prosecuting attorney and say, where were you when? But you don't see that with any of these guys, these men. They're like, God has given us a promise. Yes, it was to, you know, Jacob, or it was to Isaac, or it was to Abraham. And God has reaffirmed that in my heart. He's given that to me, and it is yours as well. And so we pass down the faith. One of the greatest things we will ever be able to do as parents is to pass down our faith. Malachi speaks about God wanting a godly heritage, and that's why he brings together a family. Not everybody has children, 
But those that do, those children are to be raised for the glory of God. Be raised in such a way that they surrender to the Lord. Let's look at verse 23, chapter 11. Here's Amram and Jochebed. We don't have their names here, but we do find them in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. So verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, you know, you read this, because he was a beautiful child, it's like, well, what if he was not a beautiful child? I mean, you know, <laughs> did anybody else have that thought besides me? I'm like, really? I'm surprised. I'm asking, did anybody else have that thought besides me? I am a terrible human being. Okay, so, I, you know, but what I think is there was a sense of like, oh, God's going to do something through him. There was this awareness as they looked at him. It's like this child, there's something special about him and what God wants to do with him. They had this awareness. <laughs> and so they, they end up with very little. They don't have a Bible. They don't have a synagogue that they're going to, okay? They're, they're descendants of Abraham, but they've been in slavery now for you know, 400 years, and, and, and yet they are ready to walk out their faith. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, because I want to read the account of what happens there and how they actually work out this whole um, protection of their child. So, a Pharaoh's in the land. He is seeing the nation of Israel, or not the nation, the slaves of the Israelites growing um, so quickly that he wants to limit their numbers. He comes up with a plan that every male child should be thrown into the Nile River and put to death. And so um, this, is, this is the law of the land. This is what the culture is saying you must do. And so chapter two, verse one. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister, anybody know her name? Miriam. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the river side. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, pops out of the bulrushes, right, just just happened to be here. She's following the little, as it floats down the river. And she, she steps out and says, well, hey, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother, called Jochebed. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. And so she nursed him until he was weaned, so he would have been you know, a little toddler. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. This is the one that God uses. Can, can you see the irony here? You want to use the Nile so that you're not overthrown. 
You want to use this water to destroy them. And God uses the water to be the place that really a deliverer is, um, is, is, is taken care of. And they bring him out of the water. And it's water that's going to end up destroying the, the army. God's like... You have a plan to destroy, I have a plan to redeem. And Satan has not stopped attacking and fighting the church for 2,000 years. But we know that the church is not going to lose. The church is going to prevail. The church wins in the end. And what we see time and time again, generation after generation, and not that the church is perfect, but the, the attacks that come against the church, if they will turn them over to the Lord, he will take that force and that power and that energy that's been thrown at her. The Lord will catch it, turn it around, and send it back at the enemy with twice the force with which it came at the church. And that's exactly what he does here in this scene. So some lessons to be learned from Amram and Jochebed. First, there were parents who weren't afraid to stand. The king, Pharaoh, says, you must throw your child in there. Like, we're not throwing our child in there. But this is the law of the land. It doesn't matter what the law of the land is. We're not going to do this. We are not going to offer our child up. They defied that satanic order, and they hid their newborn son until they realized pretty soon he's going to be crying so loud, and we're not going to be able to hide him anymore. And so then they came up with another plan that we'll talk about in, in our next point. But this is a group of people that had the kind of faith that is like, we're going to do what the Lord would lead us to do no matter what. We are to take care of our child. We are to give birth to this child. We are to give this child life. And we are not going to back down. It doesn't matter what everybody else says we ought to do. We know what God is telling us to do. Do you remember Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were told to bow down and worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made? It says, you need to bow down. They're like, we're not going to bow down. And then so they're arrested. They're brought into trial. And it's like Nebuchadnezzar's like, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fire. That doesn't matter. I'll make it seven times hotter. That still doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We are not going to bow down and worship your image. We believe that our God is able to deliver us from the power of those flames. And then these three words, but if not, we're still not going to bow down. So we believe God can spare us, but even if God doesn't spare us, we know what the word of God says and we know what we're supposed to do and we're not going to bow to your image. We're going to stand strong. And you know what happens. They're thrown into the fiery furnace and they don't burn. And the only thing that burns when they're thrown into the fire is the ropes that they bound them with when they threw them in the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, well, I thought we threw three guys in. Three guys. He goes, why do I see the fourth? And the fourth looks like the son of man walking in the midst of the fire. Jesus was in the fire with them. But it's this but if not faith that they had that I want to challenge us in. So you maybe are in some circumstances and some challenges. Maybe it's for healing. And you're praying for that for you or for your spouse or child or friend, loved one. And I would encourage your prayer to sound something like this. Lord, we pray for healing. But if not, we're still going to trust you. We're still going to believe in you. We're still going to follow you. 
Lord, I pray for the restoration of this marriage. I pray you'll change my spouse's heart. But if not, I'm still going to follow you to the very last day. It doesn't matter what circumstances happen in my life. I am following you, Jesus, and nothing can push me back. Lord, I pray you step in the midst of my, my failing business or my failing finances. But if not, I will still honor you my entire life. This is the kind of faith that Amram and Jochebed had. We're going to follow you. We're going to hold our child at back. We're going to put him in this, this you know, basket. And we believe that you're going to preserve. But there's, they are all in on this. But if not, it doesn't matter. For them to hold back their child would have jeopardized them and the entire family. And they were parents who weren't afraid to stand. I think the application to all of us as parents or grandparents is that we need to be parents that aren't afraid to stand when the world is saying one thing, the exact opposite, and they're screaming it and say, no, we will not do that. We will not think that way. We will not live that way. We're not going to accept those standards. We're not going to accept that pattern of life. I don't care. That, and, you know, and the problem is sometimes if it's just out there in the culture, it's one thing. But now it's not just the culture. Now it's your family. Now the family's dealing with other ideas. It's like, well, you really can't believe that and still can call them to sexual purity or to actually think that if they were created a, a you know, biological male, that they're a biological male, if they're a bio biological female, you can't do that. That's the wrong thing to do. That's hate speech. I don't care what you say it is. I know what the word of God says is this little girl has been fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And that little boy has been made fearfully and wonderful in the image of his God. You may not understand this idea that people are made in the image of God, but I do. And I'm not going to bow to that. I'm not going to give in to that. You've got to be willing to stand. And it's easier when your children are small. If you don't have teenagers yet, enjoy the ride. But it's coming. And you're going to have to strap on. <laughs> you know, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to get ready for it. Because it's different. It's a different kind of leadership that you have to have. And if you are worried about being popular with your teenager, you're going to lose. <laughs> you may not like that, but you'll agree with me later. Like, well, no, I don't. That won't be the case. Okay, sure. Talk to me when they're 20, and then we'll see who was right. It's going to be different. It's going to be challenging, obviously, because now they're able to think. They're able to reason. Their, their likes and their dislikes are not just being given to them by you. Now they're able to express. They're able to rationalize their, their thought processes, and they begin to question the authority that you are coming uh, at them with and if you just cave and if you're just like well I just you know it's just not worth the fight it is worth the fight well I just don't have the time to fight pay me now or pay me a whole lot later you're going to put time into that child you're going to have conflicts you're going to have those moments and you can either decide to pay right now and do it right and do it early and do it continually or you can just wait until it will consume your life later but you're the idea that you're going to save time get that out of your head 
You've got to stay engaged with them. And I just, I just challenge you. A lot of you young parents out there, you have these children. They're little and you're guarding them and you're protecting them as you should. Keep doing that. And I'm not saying, listen, this next thing, it's just for the point of illustration. So if you come up and talk to me about SpongeBob, I'm walking away. Okay? <laughs> but you know, there are those like, we don't even watch SpongeBob in our house. No way. That underwater creature is not going to defile our home. We are not going to watch that. Okay, that's fine. If you don't want to watch SpongeBob, don't watch him. I really, it doesn't matter to me. But then your kid turns 14 and you hand him a smartphone and you walk away. What? That doesn't make sense. And so you, well, my point is this. You've got to do that when they're young and you've got to guide them and lead them. But when they get older, you've got to keep doing that. And, and so it's like, oh, it's just too hard. Okay, I'm not going to argue about the hard part. But you have a job to raise up that young person to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to pass this on to them, to say like Jacob, to say like uh, you know, Isaac and Joseph, to say like Abraham, we follow God and he does a work in our family and he's doing something and you're gonna follow him too. I'm so thankful for the, the godly heritage that I, I've been able to grow up with parents that love the Lord and my grandparents, they love the Lord and Rebecca and myself, by God's grace, we're walking with the Lord and loving the Lord, and we've raised our kids, and they are, and now we're watching our grandchildren. It's like we're, you know, we're into the fourth generation of this. By God's grace, we are so thankful for that. But you, got, you have to have the courage to lead. You can't back down. And so I encourage you to be like Amram and Jochebed, and it's like, yeah, we will defy the king of this, this land. And we're going to raise our kids to follow. There were parents who had wisdom. They made a vessel. They put, got bulrushes, got reeds. They put the pitch on it, made it waterproof, put a basket, had Miriam follow along, put it in the right place. How did they know to put it where the, the Pharaoh's daughter was going to be? The Lord gave them wisdom on how to do this. And so we all have, a, you know, need to have wisdom from the Lord. We have to, you know, understand what the Nile is. You want us to, th I mean, can you see the irony? You want us to throw our child in the Nile? Okay, we will. So they put him in the Nile, but he's protected. He's insulated from the damage of the Nile. And the Lord uses that. And it floats him right by the, the family that was making the decree. And God hit her with so so much compassion. You know, if this is the woman we think it is, she never had a child of her own. It was only Moses. And so something happened in her heart and she was immediately bonded with that child. The Lord gave him wisdom. You know, we, you can't get rid of the Nile, okay? You can't get rid of it. It's, it's going to be, in the, always going to be there. It's going to be, it was there when you were being raised. It's going to be there with your kids and your grandkids. There is a, there is a godless nature out there that wants to take your kid's life. You cannot get rid of the Nile. But you can walk in wisdom on, on what you do. And here's the thing. When we talk about insulating them as best you can in the ark, it's the word of God. It's giving the word and teaching them the word. It's covering them and, and praying with them and teaching them how to pray. It's loving them. 
It's engaging them in conversation, not just when they're learning to talk, but once they know how to talk and they don't want to talk, you've got to engage them in conversation. If you have a little boy, mama, get ready. He's not going to say much when he becomes a teenager, if he's like most teenage boys. You're going to have to figure out. But listen, this, is a, this was so common. Our kids came home, even before they were teenagers, they'd come home from school, and we'd say, how was your day? And they would say, fine. <laughs> well, I mean, did anything interesting happen? No, nothing. Well, tell me about it. There's nothing to say. It's like, well, you were there all day long. Tell me about it. No. So then I came up with this, this method, and this is just how I did it, to engage them in conversation. I go, you got to tell me three things that were good, three things that were bad or surprised you, and then you can go play. Oh, there is nothing. That's good. Well, we'll hang out all night then. You know, I mean, I'm not going anywhere. You're going you're to say, you, you can do this in five minutes, or you can do this in five hours. But if you want to hang out with me for five hours and just be in the same room, we can do that too. Okay, okay. You know, well, you know, somebody, you know, there was a fight in school. Oh, well, why, why were they fighting? Well, you know, this person, well, what do you think about that? Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? How should have they responded? What do you think? Is, should you, I mean, you see what I'm saying? You, you've got to, you have to engage. And so this is how we protect our children is through the word of God, through prayer, through loving them, engaging them in conversation to know what you're supposed to say to them. How do you disciple them if you don't know what they're facing? And then give them a model of faith in the home. Give them Christ kingdom experiences. You know, it's like, well, how do you do that? Go serve with them in children's ministry. Greet with them at the front door. Go serve in the hospitality team together. Come to the, the day in which you're, you're working, you know, we're doing stuff around. The, you've got to find a way. Maybe you don't like any of those things. Well, fine, find one that you like. But you've got to find a way for both of you to put your hands upon the kingdom of God and they can know what it's like to give themselves away. Because remember what Jesus said about giving yourself away? It's more blessed to give than receive. How will they ever learn the blessing of the Christian faith if you don't teach them how to give themselves away? And so engage with them. Go on a missions trip together with them. You know, and if you don't have that, then try one of the other things that I said. But you've got to find a way for them to experience what it's like to live out the Christian faith and not just pump them full of information. Lastly, their parents' faith was real. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, that's not bad. Three kids that grew up to be heavyweights within the faith and the development of the nation of Israel. God used them. There was something that was going on in that house, and we don't have the details of, that was real. But I just want to close with this simple remark. You have to be real in your faith when you're telling your kids to walk out their faith. And, and, you know, there's plenty of hurdles that all of our children are going to face. But you just, you can't stop. You can try and remove as many of the hurdles, and I encourage you to do that, as is good for them and as is needed. And you, they'll get over them, but here's one that's probably the most difficult hurdle for Christian kids to get over. It's hypocrisy in their home. Now, 
You mean we gotta be perfect? No, listen, what is hypocrisy? Is hypocrisy living a perfect life? Uh, you know, the, the antithesis of hypocrisy, living a perfect life? No, that's not it. Hypocrisy is saying one thing and pretending to be one thing and not being that. That's hypocrisy. This is not hypocrisy. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I sinned and I just repented. That's not hypocrisy. I'm being real about who I am. I should live this way, I didn't live that way, I am repenting of that and I'm asking you to forgive me. That's not hypocrisy. That's just being a Christian who's being sanctified. Hypocrisy is to say one thing and never acknowledge the wrong thing that you do and you keep on saying it and you don't try to follow it. That is what kids have such a hard time getting over. So I know this is Mother's Day and this is harsh, but I just feel so let to say this. It's not harsh, it's just hard. If you're yelling at the kid's mom all day long and every time you get together, they love their mommy. And if you're yelling at her and screaming at her, it's going to be very hard for them to take what you say is true as being real. If you're disrespecting the dad all day long in front of the kids and then you want them to follow Jesus, it's going to be that kind of hypocrisy is really hard. Well, I just can't control myself. I've just got a bad temper. And if she was six, six, six foot six, weighed 325 pounds, was a bodybuilder and had a samurai sword, you would figure out how to keep your hands off of her or to be quiet. You get away with it because you can get away with it. Let's be real. You can control yourself in a lot of situations. If you are surrounded by hell's angel, you will, angel, Becker gang, you would figure out how to keep your mouth shut. You, you do that because you get away with it, but you don't get away with it. And the impact on our kids, I mean, again, we're not talking about being perfect because I was not a perfect dad and I am not going to be a perfect person. It's not that. It's that this idea that we are saying you got to follow Jesus and yet we're not doing that and we don't make any attempts to correct it and acknowledge it and we just keep on going. That is, those are, it's not that God can't work in our kids' lives, but you got to control that. You got to be a model of what it is to follow Jesus. Even if that model is, mommy was not a very good mommy today. She said things and did things. She didn't trust Jesus the way she should have. She didn't talk to you the way you should have. I, mommy needs to, mommy has to go talk to Jesus. Daddy's got to go talk to Jesus and ask for forgiveness for the way I handled that. But I want to ask you to forgive me first. Will you forgive me for not being what I should have done or I, I was worried too much or whatever it is? It's like, yeah, but I can't do it with my kids. You must do that with your kids. You don't have to give them all the details. Age-appropriate information. And then you walk with the Lord. But if you are just telling them your kids to follow the Lord and you're not doing it, you're making no attempt, that kind of hypocrisy is going to make it so hard for them to follow Jesus. So love their mama, respect their daddy. Father, we thank you that we have an example of, of men and women that while not perfect, and you even told us of many of their mistakes, in scripture, we read them, we see them, but Lord, you know exactly what needs to happen in our hearts and our lives to raise our kids. We pray for grace to get that done. 
Lord, these are your children, and you are worthy of the reward of your suffering. You hung on the cross, Lord, and you're worthy of every one of our kids following you into the next generation and passing that on, Lord. You are good, you are faithful. I'll just give you a moment to respond. I don't want, you know, listen, if you're like, man, I've blown it, okay. Then repent and ask for the Lord to forgive you and make it right with the people in your household. But all of us need the grace to, to raise our kids, to see our kids raise their kids in the ways of the Lord. I think we can all call out. Some of you have done the, you've done a great job raising your kids. You aren't perfect, but you did everything that you should have done for them to walk. And they're not walking with the Lord. Don't walk out of here beat up. Just walk out of here as people that are still praying for them. But, you know, if you're one that you lived a life of hypocrisy, then maybe you need to go have a conversation. Well, you do. You need to go have a conversation with them. You need to make it right. It's too important for us to go soft on this. Lord, give us grace, we pray in the name of Jesus.